don't deserve. Mm -hmm. Father, it's a grace that we are unworthy to experience, Father. But it's a grace that we see through your scriptures from the very beginning until the end. <coughs> Father, I pray that we will live our lives grateful for that grace. Mm -hmm. Father, we see a world in trouble. And Father, we experience a world in trouble. Mm -hmm. But Father, we know that your grace is available. Mm -hmm. God, I pray that this morning, that this message will not be mine, that it will not be my opinion, mm -hmm. but it will be your Holy Spirit moving, Father, in this room. Mm -hmm. yes. Father, thank you so much for your love, your grace, your mercy. In your son's name we pray. I want to thank David for just such a great communion message. Uh, definitely appreciate that. Um, um, I don't have on honey, but uh, I'm certainly looking forward to experiencing her meals at some point. But uh, I, I definitely agree that when we come together for communion, it should be a celebration. Amen. You know, and when we come together to worship, it should be a celebration. I agree as well that yesterday um, we had an opportunity to celebrate that as well. And um, I want to thank the Macaris and, and their family um, and Etta's family uh, for allowing us to take part in that celebration yesterday. Thank you so much for that. Have you ever 
You know, life storms may, may batter us, ripping apart our plans, right? And flooding us with multiplied problems. Many of us, you know, many of these problems are of our own making, pretty much, right? We create some of these problems ourselves. But grace is God's promise that we will not be destroyed. Just as a rainbow was his promise that he would never again send a flood to devastate the earth. The rainbow is God's gift to us to remind us of his gift, his amazing grace. His grace is always there to draw, to, for us to draw upon when we remember to do so. When we remember to draw upon that grace. Sometimes we forget, don't we? Sometimes we forget that God's grace is available to us. And so we forget to draw upon that. Vance Havner says that God's grace is not only amazing grace, but it is abounding grace. You know, the Lord may not give gold, but he will give grace. Mm. He may not give gain, but he will give grace. That's a quote from Charles Spurgeon. When God intervenes in the world through the flood, do you see his grace? When we read that in the scriptures and we see and hear of the flood, when we read about the flood, do you see his grace in that? Does God intervene and play an active role in the affairs of this world? When you watch the news and you see the affairs of this world and you see things happening on the news, do you see God's grace? How about in your life? Do you see his grace? As you read the story of Noah, what encouragement do you find in the ending of this story? That you would see God's amazing grace. Have you ever noticed that after a tragedy, people often express outrage over God's seeming lack of intervention? How could God let this happen, they say? Where is God in this situation, they say? They're expressing the desire for God to take a more active role in the affairs of this world and intervene more frequently. Where is God? How can he let this happen? I thought he was a loving God. The Old Testament is filled with stories of God doing just that intervening. But do we see it? Do we recognize it? And do we recognize it as grace? The story of the flood is such a story of God intervening in the world to make things right. An act of grace. And so when we look at the flood, we see God intervening. Last week we looked at the fall of man. And just a few chapters after the fall, the consequences of sin have spread throughout God's creation. 
And so in Genesis 6, 5 through 6, it says the Lord saw how great the wickedness of the human race had become on earth. And that every inclination of the thoughts of the human heart was only evil, only evil, all the time. Some absolutes right there, huh? Yeah. Only evil, all the time. And so the Lord regretted that he had made human beings on the earth. And his heart was deeply troubled. Wow. And someone asked, how could God regret something he himself had done? After all, he's God. Well, I think that is proof that unlike everything else in the universe, humans are endowed with the ability, ability to go against God's will. Yeah. We are endowed with this ability to go against God's will. If you haven't noticed. Right? And so, it makes it quite tragic that God is repeatedly, I was talking to Mama about this the other day, that God is repeatedly disappointed by his favorite creature, the human being. Repeatedly, over and over and over again, he is disappointed by us. The very ones that he said he created very good. We disappoint him over and over and over again. And so this passage begins with God witnessing the wickedness of humanity. And so he made the decision to do something about it. Destroy the world out of what? Sadness rather than anger. We would say, oh my gosh, God is angry, so he's going he's gonna to wipe out the world. No, 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 no. He is sad. <coughs> he is sad. Genesis 6, 7. So the Lord said, I will wipe from the face of the earth the human race I have created. And with them, the animals, the birds, the creatures that move along the ground. For I regret, I regret that I have made them. We may not think that God has emotions. But here's the thing, if we were created in the image of God and we have emotions, mm -hmm. Like sadness, right. you can be assured God has emotions. Yeah. Like sadness. God is saddened because of our sin. When you go about your daily lives and you and you go ahead and you make your decision to sin, have you ever thought the sadness that causes your fault? Have you ever thought that before or even after you sin, how sad your God is after that? Your creator, God. How sad that makes him. 
See, God is preoccupied with goodness. After God created man, only then did he announce that what he created was very good. And we are the ones who make him sin. After all the other days of creation, he announced they were good. But not very good. And sometimes we think too, what you know, the question has come up also, but why did he have to wipe out the animals? They didn't do anything. Now this is how amazing our God is, right? Even the animals he created for you. Animals have no purpose without you. What purpose do they have without you? That's love. I think the reason for all this is that God has such high aspirations for humanity. His aspirations for humanity are so high. His goals for us are so high. And we continue to disappoint. We continue to let him down over and over and over again. But of course, to God's great sadness, he saw how much human beings engaged in cruelty to other human beings and how widespread that was across the earth and he decided to start over. He had to call for a do-over. He's like, man, okay, this is just not working as I expected. So I need to start all over again. God wanted a good world. A world in which people treated each other with decency. Therefore, if evil dominates and there is virtually no good in the world, then there is really no need for human existence. If we're always evil all the time, what good are we? It would only mean more and more suffering. And so... It needed to be a duel. But suffice it to say, that alone is a demonstration of grace. That's a demonstration of grace. Him calling to say, you know what, instead of of this world going on as it is, where there's only going to be suffering because there's always evil all the time and it's so widespread, I don't want that for humanity. Let's just do it all. Isn't that grace? And isn't that amazing grace? And so in Genesis 6, starting in 11, verse 11, it says, Now the earth was corrupt in God's sight and was full of violence. God saw how corrupt the earth had become for all of all the people on earth had corrupted their ways. So God said to Noah, I am going to put an end to all people. 
for the earth is filled with violence because of them. I'm surely going to destroy both them and the earth. God takes Noah into his confidence and tells Noah his plan. Such an example of God's grace again, right? But also proof of Noah's goodness before God. Yeah. That he would share his plan with Noah and say, hey, here's what I'm going to do. This is going to startle you a little bit. But here's what I'm going to do. I need a world of good. And so only Noah and his family would be spared the devastation God is going to bring upon the earth. So I'm going to have you and your family. I'm going to spare you and your family because you are good. You are righteous. In fact, you are the only ones who I can even call righteous. So instead of you going down with anybody else, I'm going to spare you. Amazing grace. So let's talk about this flood for a moment. Because what follows from here is a story of God flooding the earth. And so Noah builds a large ship, right? Called an ark. And along with his family, that we see in, in Genesis 6:18. They're going to live on the boat and be spared from the flood. In addition, Noah was to gather seven pairs of all clean animals and one pair of the unclean animals for sacrificial purposes. Uh, the clean animals for sacrificial purposes and unclean animals and bring them onto the boat and, as well. And so that when the water receded, the earth could be repopulated, right? It rained for 40 days, and the earth was underwater for 150 days. Eventually, the rain stopped. The waters receded. And God told Noah to take his family and the animals out of the boat and return to the land. Grace. Right? Now we wouldn't look at that and say, oh, that's today we wouldn't look at that and say, oh, flooding the whole place, that, that's an act of grace. But yes, it is. Yes, it was. Because God wants a world of goodness. He wants humanity to love each other, to be good to each other. To get along. Can't we all just get along? That's what he wants for everyone. But we are just so keen on ruining it. Because right after that, unfortunately, the flood could not erase the sin in the human heart. And so sin remained. Oh my goodness. What does God have to do? 
The sin, unfortunately, began with Noah's own son, Ham. How unfortunate. Right? Because of the human heart. Because of the fall. Because of the fall, not even a do-over would take. That's where our heart is, guys. It takes a lot to fix his heart. No one gets drunk and Ham stumbled upon his nakedness. Didn't keep his clothes on when he was drunk. I mean, like, geez, man, come on. (laughs) What does one thing have to do with the other? Yeah. 
That's just real. Yeah. Okay? Yeah. And I believe that that was an issue between him and God. Yeah. Now, now, Noah goes along and he curses a lineage. That's Noah's curse with his son. That's not God's curse. Right. Okay? But I just wanted to say to you, I want my son to become a disciple as well, but he has some things he needs to work out with the Lord. So do your children. Yeah. Okay. I don't believe it was Noah's fault why Ham did that stupidness. Right. They got something to work out with God. Yeah. Okay. I just want to pause there and say that and encourage you with that, that, you know, whether your children become disciples or not, it's not necessarily your fault. Right. Right. They got that decision. They got to make out. They got that. They have to deal with with God. Okay. Yeah. Amen. Amen. So now we go into this covenant relationship. <clears throat> Covenants are interesting, guys. Covenants are interesting. Genesis nine, starting in verse eight, that God said to Noah and to his sons with with him. I now establish my covenant with you and with your descendants after you. And then in uh, verse 11, it says, I establish my covenant with you. Never again will all life be destroyed by the waters of a flood. Never again will there be a flood to destroy the earth. Let us talk for a moment to uh, and understand covenant. Covenant is a key it, to, to grasping the character of God in the Old Testament. In the Old Testament, a covenant was a formal contract intended to make an agreement legally in, an, in international agreements, a covenant was a treaty. In a nation's life, it served or does serve as a constitution, right? Like we have a constitution. In business, a covenant is a contract. In personal relationships, it's a commitment. We make a commitment with each other, an agreement with each other. See, now, most covenants in ancient times were two-party agreements. We make an agreement with each other. Two parties, right, are involved in this agreement. Each person or group involved specified what he or she would do to carry out the agreement. We each have a responsibility. If one side failed to perform, the agreement was broken. And the other side was no longer obligated. Okay? But now here's the thing. God makes a covenant with Noah and all humanity and it is pure promise. It is pure promise. 
conditions with this covenant. There's no ifs. Instead, God simply said, I now, I, God, now make a commitment to you and your descendants. He didn't say, if you do this. He didn't say, and this is the condition. He said, I make this covenant with you. I make an agreement with you that from now on, never again, never again will there be a flood to destroy earth. Now, here's the interesting thing about that. There is no ifs. There is no condition. So whatever humanity may do, God remains committed to his hmm. promise. Come on. How amazing is that? Again, we find a gracious God who is amazing. So he's saying, as of before, where I wiped out the earth because there was wickedness spread across it. If there was wickedness again, I'm not doing it. Hmm. Wow. This time, I'm leaving it be. Hmm. Now that can be considered grace, but that can also be considered some tough love, right? Because yeah. now he's like, all right, y'all can offend for yourselves. <laughs> y'all want to be mean? Use the first thing as an example. Now you want to be mean? Go ahead. You want to be evil? Go ahead. You got a choice. You have a decision to make. But I'm telling you, read the rainbow. I am doing it again. It's up to you now. Genesis 9, 14. When I bring clouds over the earth, and the rainbow appears in the clouds. Right? See, this is the sign of promise. It is a rainbow that appears in the clouds. The rainbow served to remind Israel and her God of his covenant with Noah never again to destroy the earth by flood. Mm -hmm. This is amazing grace. Mm -hmm. See, the symbolism of the rainbow is not clear except to say that it expresses God's faithfulness mm -hmm. as he keeps covenant forever with his people. Amen. By it, he expresses his grace and mercy. John Goldingate says that the rainbow does not require human cooperation to make it shine. Mm -hmm. It is purely a sign that speaks of God's grace and mercy. Amen. See, there is a somewhat of a painful lesson here. I have two major lessons. The wages of sin is death. Mm -hmm. This is a topic people don't like to discuss today because they feel like they're being judged. But go to any doctor and they'll begin to ask personal questions. Right? See, we don't like to be asked personal questions. <laughs> Go to any doctor, they'll start asking you personal questions from your sexual habits, 
to drug use, to your eating habits. And then they'll tell you if you need to make lifestyle changes for the sake of your health. And you listen. This is something people not only are willing to do, but subject themselves to. And even pay money for. But in the kingdom of God, we don't like questions. I paid a copay of $50 for my doctor to tell me I was obese one time. He told me that one time. $50, I got my like, you go. Thank you. But in the kingdom, we don't like questions. <laughs> One brother told me yesterday, this last night, when we were eating dinner, that his doctor told him that his cholesterol was high, so he should stop eating meat. I mean, eating rice. If you know this brother, you would agree that that doctor was out of order. <laughs> <laughs> <Had> no respect. <laughs>
In conclusion, only Earth has rainbows. Isn't that amazing? Mm -hmm. Isn't that amazing? Life on Earth requires a lot of fine tuning. Our planet is just the right distance from the sun to allow freezing and melting. And the planetary axis tilted just so for seasons. There's a moon for tides to circulate and cleanse shores and oceans, an atmosphere to distribute heat. Otherwise, the sun side would cook as the night side froze. And the magnetic field that contributes to our protection from harmful solar radiation. That all these needs were met, and many more, is all a big coincidence? It's a coincidence for evolutionists. We just lucked out and got just what we needed. But we didn't need rainbows. And yet, as astronomer Guillermo Gonzalez recently noted, we're on the only planet in the solar system to get them. What's needed for a rainbow is suspended water droplets in the atmosphere and the direct sunlight that results from the sun being between the horizon and 42 degrees altitude. This typically occurs just after a thunderstorm has passed and small droplets are still in the atmosphere and the, key, and the sky is clearly in front of the sun. Seems like a simple setup. This must be a common phenomenon in the cosmos, right? But it isn't so simple. Our moon doesn't have the atmosphere. Mars doesn't have the moisture. Venus has too thick an atmosphere. And as we head further out, the other planets don't have liquid water. So. The only planet to have rainbows is the only one with people on it to see them. <laughs> to evolutionists, that's just one more coincidence. <laughs> to God's people, just another example of his love and care. It's as if someone has been trying to get our attention with a pretty mm. shiny object written large across the sky saying, look here, this is important. I've set my rainbow in the clouds. And it will be the sign of the covenant between me and earth. Remember that God intervenes for you. He does this because he cares for you. He does this because of amazing grace. When you see a rainbow, remember the promises of God. Remember his amazing grace. Amen. To God be the glory.